three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and hello, Sam Magar, and to the fourth episode of the Leading Mindset program. And we're really happy to have you here today. And um, I was going through your experiences; is all like really remarkable. And we want to have start with the Millennium Campus Network, and you are the executive director. Can you tell us more? Yeah. Um, well, Ali, thanks for having me on. Sure. And uh, I think I, I just want to say it's so cool how we met. Yeah. Um, I mean, for for everyone listening, watching, you know, meeting at Earth Cafe and just by serendipity and uh, never be afraid to talk to anyone. Yeah. And, and here we are now. So um, <clears throat> my journey began really when I was 19. Uh, when I was 19 years old, I read two books that changed my life. One was Mountains Beyond Mountains about a doctor named Paul Farmer uh, and an organization Partners in Health. And the other was a book, The End of Poverty by an economist, Jeffrey Sachs. Mm-hmm. Those two books really <clears throat> elucidated for me the fact that a tenth of humanity, over 700 million people live in extreme poverty every day. Mm-hmm. Um on less than a dollar ninety cents a day, <clears throat> but the, there are also things big and small we can do to respond to the crisis. So when I was nineteen, put down those books, picked up the phone, cold called this world famous economist Jeffrey Sachs. Went to New York City two days later, met with his team. I said, "I'm a college sophomore. I don't have many answers, but I know our generation can do more, mm-hmm. and I want to figure out what small role we might play in tackling extreme poverty and." advancing at the united nations they have the 17 sustainable development goals and uh came back to campus started small-scale public health fundraisers then in 2007 brought student leaders together from across the city of boston and we said look we're all focused on global development and justice but we're doing this work in silos those silos minimize impact minimize diffusion of knowledge Mm -hmm. what would happen if we teamed up six months later had our first conference at mit thousand student leaders show up from around the world with Paul Farmer, Jeff Sachs, John Legend, head of USAID, <coughs> head of USAID Paul, Jeff, and John, Joiner Board of Advisors. And they said, Sam, we're in. Like, let's, let's you know, help build this student network on poverty. I said, I'm 20 years old. I'm mm-hmm. not quite sure what this is yet, but let's give it a shot. Yeah. And uh, we just celebrated <coughs> at Millennium Campus Network, MCN, our 10th anniversary. Uh, training young leaders to make a difference in their communities. Um, Over 6,000 alumni so far, and 75% of them are now in social impact careers, making a difference through the work they do. That's really great. What about the um, upcoming program that you told me about? Yeah, so the big one is um, last year, (laughs) last year, it's, I mean, it means so much to us. Last year, we partnered with the United Nations Academic Impact on the Millennium Fellowship. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a semester-long program, 10 sessions. We're, tra- we're giving young people the training, the support system, the credentials for them to go make a difference in their communities. So whether it was students in uh, Central Michigan tackling food insecurity through aquaponics farming or students in Saudi Arabia uh, closing the gender gap in STEM. It's all students leading change on the grassroots level. And um, and so we've set up the Millennium Fellowship again for 2019. Um, 
millenniumfellows.org, two ends in millennium, millenniumfellows.org. Mm-hmm. And we've had 3,500 young leaders apply so far. Our goal is 5,000 by the end of May. And again, it's an opportunity this fall uh, for any undergraduate worldwide to really take their impact to the next level. Great. What did you choose? Why did you choose the undergrad? Yeah, <laughs> it's a great question. Um, Part of it is because, I mean, that's the main focus of the, the whole organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for, for MCN, part of it is personal. Mm-hmm. That's where I found my voice. I was, <laughs> I was really, really shy growing up. Uh, I had two friends, um, two friends in high school. I had one date all four years of high school. Uh, so I really didn't kind of have my voice and identity and, until college. And this work really helped me find myself. So for all these young people around the world in college who maybe were like me, I, I want to be there to support them and meet them where they are. And then the other piece is, I think, beyond me, looking at the history of how the world has changed, especially recent history, in the civil rights movement here in the U.S., and climate justice movement, in the movement to end apartheid, um, and I'm going to South Africa next month, so it's kind of front of mind. Um, in the mid-1980s, and this is before Facebook and before yeah. social, right? There were 155 campuses where, that were mobilizing to divest from South Africa during apartheid. At UC Berkeley alone, there were 7,000 students rallying, saying divest from that government. As a result of that work, Congressman Dellums had the political capital to overturn a presidential veto on sanctions. It's the first time that happened on a foreign policy veto in the 20th century, and that was driven by young people. So young people alone don't change the world. Intergenerational movements do. But we know that just really giving basic investment in young people, it's a cost-effective way to do leadership development for nonprofits and for social impact organizations. Mm -hmm. And historically, it's what's created outsized impact in our world. So we want to do more of that. Great. What do you what do you think of the uh, when you see maybe the young younger generation, maybe they are getting it wrong sometimes, even like influenced by maybe like the entertainment industries or like the social medias, you know. So because the, your point is to train and educate undergrads to not face the issues that they might face in the future, you know. So do you think that maybe even we can train like the older people i mean like the maybe who are like in 30s you know or 40s yeah <laughs> two two points on that one is yes um there's a there's a millennium fellow i was meeting with at arizona state last week mm-hmm. and she said look everyone is a teacher everywhere uh, and i think likewise everyone is a student everywhere um, the key is to be an adaptive leader and constantly at becker college they talk about creating an agile mindset um, everything is changing so rapidly now. Mm-hmm. So I think it's essential that, yeah, we do leadership training at, for every demographic at every age, yeah. um, just to be prepared uh, to engage meaningfully in a global economy. Um, I, I think that's, <laughs> it is essential today. Yeah. And your next stop would be in Dubai, right? Yeah. Um, the uh, Al Gurir Foundation. Right. Yeah. So meeting with them uh, next month, really excited for that um, because I know they've done a lot in the education space. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it'll be a great opportunity. It's my second time there. 
And we know there are a lot of uh, young leaders in the region passionate about creating impact in their communities mm-hmm. uh, and really want to see if we can, can meet them where they're at and, and really support their yeah. work. And even there are a lot of programs going on, on uh, in different like Dubai universities to educate or like uh, encourage, you know, the uh, people or like the uh, younger generations to be a leader or learn how to, let's say, start a business or learn, educate more, you know, on different topics. So that I think would be a really, really good opportunity based on what I was experienced when uh, I was living in Dubai. Yeah, and uh, I know we've talked about that. I'm really excited yeah. about that too, especially because part of our curriculum for the fellowship is skills development. So teaching young people how to lead with empathy, humility, inclusion, but also how to write a budget, how to create smart goals, how to manage teams, some of the fundamentals, whether you're going to start a business, a nonprofit, if you want to be an entrepreneur, like mm-hmm. these are some of the key fundamentals to get right in your formative years. And that's the kind of training we provide. Didn't you think that these topics should be included in like every courses in at universities? No, mm. no. Why? Um, because the point is we're going to have a lot of like workshops for the, let's say, undergrad, mm. right? As you do. Mm. But what about the role of the universities? To edu- for the education though because we don't have any like leadership subjects at the university mm-hmm. so. Cool. Uh, so the the reason I say no is I think it would be I think it would be incredible but um do you ever read this book uh, called the tipping point by Malcolm Gladwell oh, yeah. yeah so he talks about you know how social movements are built how things change and yeah <clears throat> there's always like your early adopters your late adopters mm-hmm. um, I don't think we need every student on every campus to have the same kind of cookie cutter experience, nor do I think every student, you know, cares. And I think the key is before we try and solve for everybody, mm-hmm. let's really support the early adopters. Let's support those students who are already inclined to make a difference, help build community with them, get them linked up so they in turn can go engage all their peers. Once that's happening, then I think it makes it very encouraging others. Exactly. That, that's like, I think it's more grassroots, bottom up. I mean, you could do it through the entire curriculum at University of California, Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, they're actually doing a new initiative, Global Education for All, where they're making sure every student at Davis has some global experience, not necessarily study abroad, but through the curriculum, through co-curriculars. And I think that's great. Um, but yeah, I, I just wouldn't want it to be, for lack of better words, mandated. I think it's mm-hmm. got to really come from within. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Um, what about your role as an advisor to the executive director of uh, United Nations Women? Yeah, um, it's a, it's an incredible uh, experience. So um, I started going to the United Nations when I was nineteen, mm-hmm. and uh, really just to kind of listen and learn. And <clears throat> at the UN, they have these seventeen sustainable development goals to be accomplished by twenty thirty, mm-hmm. tackling poverty and discrimination and crop and climate change. And so for me, um, one, of the, one of the learnings along this journey is uh, connected with, with the team at UN Women. Um, it's, uh, it's the youngest agency, the, the least funded agency, but probably doing some of the most important work on gender equity. Mm-hmm. And um, we've seen, I mean, he's sitting here in LA in an era of Me Too, and this is like yeah. now in the conversation, but, um, I, I'm one of 12 uh, leaders from civil society 
advising the executive director, and um, I think I'm at this point. I think the only male uh, and one of the youngest. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the other leaders have been doing feminist movement building for decades. Yeah, I'm really just there to listen and learn, and then think about how we bring more young people uh, into these conversations, into these movements, and especially young men, because a lot of us, I think, we just aren't really taught how to treat other, you know, all genders with dignity and mm-hmm. um, we're, we're definitely not taught it from most of us in the classroom and mm-hmm. so we kind of perpetuate a lot of the sexism that is uh, prevalent in many cultures of the world and, yeah. and so anything that I can do to try and bring young people and especially young men to those conversations just to like listen and learn and then think about how we change our own personal behavior and uh, and then as a society how we how we try and make the world a little bit more uh, equal and fair uh, in terms of tackling sexism. Look, that's gender parity, gender equity. I mean, these are the things that I think underpin all the sustainable development goals. And really, like at the end of the day, it's what matters most, like in households on, on a family basis, like at a very personal level. And so that's why I'm really honored just to play a small role in the movement. That's really great. I read one of your, the articles that I think Dean's interview with you for your 30th birthday mm. and you pointed to five important factors. Mm. One is the family, mm. integrity, mm. power, mm. and it can end soon, mm. and love. Mm. Let's talk about these points because uh, I think what I believe is to actually make sure that you are looking after all these points can again make you successful and make me maybe for the self-awareness you know then to, to be able to understand and to find the impact that you wanted to have i mean like in the world and let's start with family like how do you see this um it's the key i, I get to do what i do because i have an incredible family that is mm-hmm. deeply supportive um that always, you know, one of the things they always did for me was, and it's rare, but they put me and my brother first. So our parents would kind of model for us yeah. unconditional love and what it meant to put somebody else first who's not you. And um, that's been really, really meaningful. And so I think, and then part of it is like just wanting to live up to the values that they set. They always set a really, they've always set a really high standard for me. Um, <clears throat> And even my dad said, like, hey, if you, you know, if you go make a ton of money, mm-hmm. like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, he, he actually, uh, since we're Persian, I can, he references uh, Omar Khayyam, yeah. and, and there's like a quote that says, in a hundred years, none of this will matter. Mm-hmm. So he always kind of reminded me why we're here. Yeah. And um, yeah, really kind of, I think, set me up to do this work. Do you think it's important for everyone to remind us? every day yeah um, definitely I think it's hard though right because a lot of people don't have that kind of family mm-hmm. um, that's that's probably the biggest gift I have in my life is, is the family that I've been given and um, so because I think the family is going to be a factor that can motivate you or teach you stuff yeah. even if they don't have a supportive family they have to remind themselves yeah no, that's, this is why like really believe in terms of the mindset of people is yeah. like it doesn't matter what is going on or around you 
in terms of your friends or your family, if you have bad friends or your bad family who are not supporting you, even if you're in a bad society or a country. But the point is you can have that impact. Mm. You can make changes. Mm. That's true. And it's that's a great point. And it's to your point, that's where things start. I mean, if you can help have a positive impact with mm-hmm. your parents, with your guardians, with your siblings, Start there. Yeah. That's that's where really all the change will be. Because that's how the, all these civil movements started. Yeah. If any of those people would say like, oh yeah, this society is really bad, you know, we cannot make changes. I mean, like nobody's supporting me. But they step up and they become a leader. Yeah. And then they started changing everything. I mean, mm-hmm. start people that were following them. Yeah. Even though the people who are not supporting them, after they see like the movements or the work that they are putting in place, you know, they started following them. You know. That's really good. And what are the integrity though that you pulled that? What did what did I say? I'm trying to remember. You said I have tried very hard to leave out my values of respect and appreciation of the people. Mm-hmm. I've made mistakes, mm-hmm. I've said the wrong things to people and have been silent as people around me have as all as well. Mm-hmm. I have hurt people honestly. I don't think with most but even with my best intentions, I have made mistakes. I'm human. Yeah, I'm very important to be honest about this, and I work to learn more and improve. Yeah, to me, um, we are human. Yeah. We're fallible. We make mistakes. Uh, the key is just to recognize that, accept it, learn from them, mm-hmm. apologize when you make a mistake, own it. Um, yeah, I think it's something that, again, uh, it's really hard to do. But living your values, there's a mentor who said to me, uh, <clears throat> she, she said, more important than anything is to live a life in congruence with your values. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, um, then you're probably like 80% of the way there because there will be distractions, there will be things that could take you off track. Mm-hmm. But if you know what your North Star is, and for me, my North Star is really helping young people own their voice and their power to make a difference. That's why I'm on the planet. That's what I want to spend my life doing. So once you have that North Star and you have values aligned with that, to lead with empathy and humility and inclusion and always be open, then it's very kind of, it becomes a lot easier to think about how you want to spend your days and who you want to be around to to get where you you want to go. That's great. Something that we talked in the second episode, I guess, with Mark Pestovson. Is the CEO of uh, Spin Blister. That was, he said, as an entrepreneur, you should always leave your ego out the door. And we talk about how hard it would be now, maybe for the younger generation. You know, because of the, the city, you know, like especially in LA, there's a lot of like ego going on. So, all of this that I'm trying to do again is like helping people because I see a lot of like, young entrepreneurs or even the individuals who wants to have an impact. They want to do something, but they get really distracted by a lot of stuff. Hmm. So when we talk about the integrity or responsibility, something, these are the authenticity, something that accountability one, you know, these are the things that they, I think we should work war on it hmm. every day hmm. because it might not be achievable, you know. <laughs> and I'll just say this, being in LA, mm-hmm. LA is a very unique space. Um, like I was on the beach in Venice yesterday and I see, you know, models taking photos like yeah. everywhere. You know, you look left, you look right. There's someone with a photographer, yeah. uh, uh, you know, at the muscle gym, whatever, and on the beach. And 
so it's um, the impact of and influence of social media, especially in a place like LA, is pretty prevalent. Um, but I also spent time this week with um, really some like friends of friends and becoming friends with them. Um, these former amazing group called the Vlog Squad. They're um, they're former Vine stars who became YouTube stars, <laughs> and some of them are now musicians, uh, and they collectively reach millions and millions of people mm-hmm. um but what's amazing to me is even though like some of their stuff obviously like they have to have fun with it and, and it, i mean that's how you reach millions and millions of people but there's such depth there like i've talked to some of them about their love for animals and animal rights and mm-hmm. um and and just learned about like their passion for homelessness and the different issues that really underpin who they are as people and so I think there there is a lot of opportunity to be distracted, but um, what's cool is that like when you really get to know people across the space, yeah. everybody has a passion. Everyone has something that makes them tick where they want to make some kind of impact. And I think it's just kind of creating a space to have an honest conversation with yourself. And then, you know, as you network, really asking people like, so what's your passion? Like, why are you here? And then, you know, what kind of what kind of mark do you want to make on the world? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think everybody's got something a little bit bigger than just themselves or even their career. Yeah. That's a huge topic that we'll talk about. It. Let's finish the fourth sure. that you say it can end too soon. Mm. Um, I had a friend who passed away um, at 26 and uh, <coughs> he, was, he was a friend and colleague. And so it was really, really difficult. Um, really, really difficult to to go through that experience, and uh, actually, and there was somebody I just met yesterday. Um, his name is Quarantine, friend mm-hmm. of a friend. Uh, he, he was he was in a hidden run here in LA, like just going across a crosswalk, and somebody hit him, and and so you know he, he's doing I think a lot better now, but I was in you know uh, critical condition in the hospital for you know weeks and. Um, yeah, I mean, and that was just, he was going on a crosswalk and the car mm. ran a red light, boom, hit uh-huh. him. So literally in a moment, everything yeah. can change. Um, so I think it really is important just to appreciate life and just the fact that like, if you, you know, know, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, like yeah. in these moments, like it's, it's a gift, it's precious and we should make the most of it. Exactly. It didn't happen to you anything like that? Um... No, I think the, well, the one thing would be, uh, I guess, the one thing, not nothing to that extreme, but when I was 11 years old, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, um, which is like an inflammation of the intestine, and um, it, it started like in summer camp, and I just, um, it, it's like, I mean, maybe TMI, but uh, like I was in summer camp, I'm 11 years old, go to the bathroom, um, and there's like, blood in the toilet and I'm like what is going on and then went home and after camp after a couple weeks and uh, would get fevers every night mm-hmm. and then um, it started to actually hurt to eat food mm-hmm. like I couldn't eat uh, even smelling food made my stomach hurt um, so I was diagnosed with Crohn's which is a chronic condition like you know lifelong and um, and I had to for two months uh, I had to have liquid diet, no food. Oh. So two months was just um, 
like these Ensure drinks, protein drinks, like yeah. older people drink sometimes. I have eight of these a day. Strawberry, vanilla, I remember I just keep uh, switching on eight of those a day for two months, no mm-hmm. food. Um, but, <laughs> but thankfully, like my health has been great, uh, especially for the past decade. So uh, again, like part of it, it's it's a conversation about equity. I'm in Bo- you know, Boston is like home and mm-hmm. we've got some of the best hospitals in the world. and so. You know, I get the best care, and so I'm, I'm okay. But uh, how do we ensure that more people, you know, get that kind of support? Because yeah. everyone deserves it. That's right. And the last is love. Yeah. Um, It's just an important topic for even entrepreneurs. Yeah, I think so. Broadly speaking, it's about you know work-life balance and mm-hmm. making sure, um, yeah, making sure you look after yourself and. Uh, <clears throat> Probably when I posted that on my 30th, I'm 32 now, so when I posted that on my 30th, it was, um, <clears throat> I was <clears throat> dating somebody long distance who, who I love, mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> uh, you were there, I think? I was, and then, and then we split up, but actually, um, we're talking, so I'm, I'm actually gonna go see her soon, mm-hmm. so we'll see, we'll see what happens, but, um, <clears throat> but I think just what's been cool about it to be in love or to have that kind of connection is um, just to find somebody you can really trust and uh, and really be yourself around mm-hmm. and be silly with um, because as an entrepreneur I mean any entrepreneur listening knows it is hard yeah. it can be really stressful and so to have somebody that you can really confide in mm-hmm. I think you know it, it, it's made all well, the but that's hard to find yeah, because for entrepreneurs, a lot of the sacrifices, you know, they might be all the time you're depressed, you know, the stress, or uh, let's say you're traveling, you will not be around. So that would be even more harder, maybe for people, maybe to understand sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. or, or maybe they get hurt. Yeah, but you are not, you don't, have, you don't mean to hurt them. But this is what you're doing as an entrepreneur. So even though you like a mutual understanding of what is going on, mm-hmm. you know, that should be something because even though not only like someone who you're dating, but even family members, you know, your friends, they might get upset because you cannot go out every day or every weekend, maybe. So now it's Sunday and you're here. So maybe, you know, my friends get like upset, like, oh, let's go for lunch, you know. But no, I have a podcast for you know, I have to work work it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine, we'll be here, you know. Sunday, I mean, I really like enjoying it. And uh, so that's great. Another thing that you point out that I really like is the never be afraid to talk to anyone. <coughs> this is exactly how we met, though. You know, right? We were sitting at the, I was sitting at the Earth Cafe uh, with my friends, and then we just came, just wanted to get a chair, you know, just sat, and then we started talking. Um, what do you say about this to people when like, we're listening here? Yeah, so <coughs> when I was 18, I, I uh, was walking on the street in the bitter cold in January in Washington, D.C. I came across a man who was homeless. And normally I would just walk right by. Or, um, or I would you know, pretend I was on my phone uh, just so I don't have to look the person in the eye. It's almost like you protect, pretend someone who's homeless <coughs> doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And in this one instance, I decided to do something different. So um, I sat down and uh, we shared lunch on the sidewalk for like... 45 minutes mm-hmm. and 20 minutes into the conversation um, <clears throat> I remember I just said like you know I, I don't I don't know your lived experience but if I could 
if I'm able to ask you like one question and mm. <clears throat> said like if I'm able to ask you just one question how do you survive mm. and he, he looked back at me and he said and he looked at the passerby and he said I'm, I'm not afraid to talk to anyone I'm not afraid to look up at those above me and ask for help mm. never be afraid to talk to anyone mm. <laughs> and um this advice, never be afraid to talk to anyone. Mm. It's the best piece of advice I've received in 32 years of life. Um, and, and to me, uh, that's so powerful because it came from someone who's homeless, mm -hmm. who society would say is less than, yeah. is, you know, a drain on society, doesn't have anything to offer. And in fact, he taught me more than anybody with, with 45 minutes of my life. And, um, and so I've applied that in meeting with world leaders and, and launching an organization and just having the courage to, you know, like even hanging out with um, these YouTube stars and people who are not in my world, etc. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I have like more confidence mm -hmm. just because I'm like, hey, like we have a cause, we've got important work to be done, and never be afraid, right? Like when you do reach out, look what happens. Yeah, I would say people should have like more uh, eager to understand each other and to like more, even they're more have more time to talk to each other and learn from each other's experiences and see like what the other side is going through or try even try to help if they can. So it happened to me once uh, I was sitting in an Uber and then I asked the same thing because exactly wherever I go I ask the people I'm like what do you do? What did you do before? I mean like what do you think? I mean what are you going to do? So he was really experienced. So even though I invited him after a talk for the company, you know, I said like maybe we can Actually, you can help us in some way, and that was a really, really great conversation. Even though, as you said, I mean, with the homeless persons, I did it before. Like here, when I go, like buy something, a drink. When I see some of them, I ask them, I mean, what happened? Or what do you think? So that's gonna really, really open up a conversation, and you get a lot from those people, from everyone. Mm. You know, so and then a lot, a lot of in another, a lot of situations, maybe. You're looking for something for months, and then that maybe you've met that person a lot every day or every week, but you haven't like talked to them. So this is something that I really, really experienced. Mm. And when I start like talking to people, then I find out, oh, this is something that he can help me, you know, she can help me with that, and I and there is something that I really could like help them, you know, to achieve. So that's something again in terms of the mindset of people. Sometimes I see. Maybe people are more busy or maybe uh, not careless, you know, <coughs> to talk to each other or mm. help each other out. Mm. So this is something again in terms of like encouraging people to more talk to each other. <coughs> what I would say to that is everybody, like almost every, not everybody, but mm. probably 80 to 90, a lot of people, majority, mm. many, many people have time. They'll say they're busy, mm. but they're, that's because time is our most precious asset. Yeah. So people are very protective of their time. And if you're introverted, maybe you don't want to meet 20 million people, maybe, mm -hmm. you know, but everybody can make time if, if it's for a cause they believe in or, or somebody that they believe in. Um, so I think it's just about us having the courage to make the ask. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, more often than not, I've found that when I've had that courage, it just like, it opens so many doors, so many opportunities that are all around us. And I mean, I, I'm privileged to be able to do this work. And, um, but like we, we, you know, 
we all have that opportunity to, to reach out to anybody. And I love what you said about, you know, also how can, how can you be helpful to the other person? Because a lot of times, especially entrepreneurs, whether you're seeking investment or you're trying to staff up or whatever it is, it's like, I need this, I need this, I need this. Yeah. Ron Cordes from Cordes Foundation, he taught me in any meeting to always ask, it's uh, five magic words. How can I help you? So always ask that in any meeting, even if the answer is no, like nothing, but it just shows you actually value the other person yeah. and their experience and their yeah. time. And maybe there are ways you can be helpful too. Yeah. Help them without the expectation. I mean, that's what something that I say. And I mentioned before, even at looking away, we have the same uh, mission though. You know, we did over 30 uh, workshops, free consultations. Because I met a lot of the young entrepreneurs who maybe doesn't have the money for the consultation, and because of a lot of you know materials online, you know maybe they get lost, you know. So yeah. we did a lot of like this free consultation for the business owners to say like, hey, what are you doing in terms of like business strategy, in terms of like digital marketing strategy? So we tried to really help them save save them money a lot because they were like wasting it many other platform that would say like it's not the right fit for you so again without expectations this is something that I really wanted to see from everyone and being part of like encouraging them and that's I mean that's a big part of why I'm sitting here with you is when I heard about what you're doing with Look in LA and your commitment to leadership development for mm -hmm. the space um, again with no expectation of anything maybe, maybe it helps grow business and maybe it doesn't maybe you're just yeah. doing something good for the space but that kind of mentality and approach, like I just love that. That's we need so much more of that in in every space in every industry. And I think, yeah, I mean, you all look at look in LA. You're leading in that. Um, so thanks for what you do. Thank you. Sure. Well, I mean, thank you for what you do. I mean, like your experiences and your uh, your goal. I mean, to educate undergrads. You know, that's really really great. And then uh, how many? Uh, you said like how many uh, members do you have now? So um, we just hit a milestone, which is uh, we just hit uh, just over 6,000 alumni of our mm -hmm. program so far um, from 300 campuses around the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and so last year, just in the last year, Ali, we had 402 Millennium Fellows graduate our program. Mm -hmm. They volunteered nearly 50,000 hours on 217 projects. Uh, and they positively impacted the lives of 393,449 people in 13 countries. Wow. That's a movement. And so, yeah, it's been really powerful to see that. And our goal this year is to even up it to, yeah. to graduate a thousand Millennium Fellows this fall and have them impact, positively impact yeah. up to a million lives. So based on your experiences, what would you say to people who wants to do the same or to have this impact? You know, so how they can start this movement. Mm. Let's say they wanted to have like this kind of like impact in terms of like education, awareness, yeah. you know, but they don't, they don't know how to start. Uh, don't start, come work with us. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, no, I mean, especially like for nonprofits, I think one of, the, one of the challenges and for the social sector in general, one of the challenges is everyone wants to be founder, executive director, president, yeah. etc. 
The world doesn't need that. We don't need 20 million new organizations. We need like a few really effective ones. And it's more collaboration. Yeah, a, a robust ecosystem ecosystem where we do really put ego aside and talk about mm-hmm. solving problems. That's why we're, if you're about causes, you're about solving problems and adding, and even beyond that, a frame I like much more, adding value. If you're about adding value in people's lives, then it shouldn't be about like, oh, we run this thing and I run that thing. and yeah. But we don't really know if we, you know, we don't measure success or we don't really track our volunteers or alumni. Mm-hmm. Like there's so, it, we could be so much more effective through collaboration. And that would be my advice is seek out organizations doing things on the causes you already care about. Mm-hmm. And then if you really do identify a gap, like we did for specifically for undergraduates and their leadership development, for creating social impact and making a difference, then yes, go for it. But do, do your homework first. Make sure that there is really a gap. Otherwise, work with those already uh, doing the work yeah. every day. But something I would say is uh, maybe the reason that people want to have a new organization or just start their own maybe um, nonprofit, I would say one reason would be the negativity or the bad news I mean, in the world will be spread more. So we are less aware of the work that you, mm. the people like you are doing. <coughs> so spread the positivity is something that we, we need more, you know. So the through the social media, I mean, or the, when you turn on the, any like news channels, you cannot even watch it. So nobody came to like the, all these news channels and says like, yeah, there is Sam Wagor who is like doing this stuff, join him or join the other organizations that are doing this work, you know, or even in the social media, we see like more. I'm not yeah. saying that we cannot see or we don't see any like yeah. positivity, but there is more like negativity going on around because if, I would say the people who are like doing a great job, maybe they are way more busy to get involved. Mm. That's why I think the we have less positivity. I mean, like going around. So maybe people don't see this, the value of this organization. I think like part of it is negativity sells. There is no question, mm-hmm. right? People love controversy. Uh, I read this book recently, uh, Sapiens. Mm-hmm. It's an incredible read and it talks about the history of humanity. The fact that the universe is 18, uh, 13.8 billion years old, mm-hmm. humans two and a half million years old. And then in the book, they talk about a cognitive revolution 70,000 years ago. That's when we really kind of were able to communicate and interact how, how we are today um, just through like some of that development. And one of the oldest things, like oldest elements of humanity is gossip. And, and part of it was actually used to kind of like, you know, suss out like who's actually helpful and who's not. But, but I think now it's kind of to the point where, yeah, everyone's just trying to tear each other down because it's mm. what sells. Um, but I mean, that's why I love this podcast. You're actually shining a light on what can be done and what is positive and what is really like the right mind, like mindset or mindsets to create that impact. And I mean, frankly, <laughs> there, there are some people out there if you're willing to look, mm. um, one of our advisors at MCN, uh, his name is Nas. He has a, a Facebook platform called uh, Nas Daily. Mm-hmm. He he made sixty second videos for uh, a thousand days. So you know, through about three years, going all over the world and telling yeah, positive. I know him. Yeah, and so you know, 12, 12 million sub, you know, twelve million followers, and yeah, he's um, great. and it's all it's like all positive and connecting people and breaking down like barriers and divisions based on race or geography and just helping people really empathize and understand each other. Mm-hmm.
Great. So and uh, let's also see uh, you were involved as the as an expert reviewer at Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Yeah, it's it's you know it's been special just to um, because now I'm a decade in. So um, the Gates Foundation, mm. among others, like they they come to me sometimes and they'll say, you know, can you review applications and and people specifically around youth leadership because mm-hmm. that's that's what I focus a lot on. Um, it's been really meaningful just to kind of have the opportunity to to weigh in um, because a decade in you kind of get a sense of um, like you learn from mistakes. I've mm-hmm. made a lot of mistakes, so at least now I know those and I can look out for those. Um, and you kind of get a sense of you know, especially when like reviewing any kind of application of a young person. I think the key is. Um, or really anybody for any entrepreneur, if you're like an investor and you're taking a look, like the key is, <laughs> do they have an agile mindset? Like, are they open to growing? Are they, do they admit that they don't know, that they don't have all the answers, but that they're hungry to learn? Mm-hmm. I think that's more important than saying, oh, we have like this perfect business plan, everything. If we follow this trajectory, this hockey stick, everything will be super successful. It's, it's, hard, it's, it's hard to promise that. I think the mm-hmm. key is like more about the key, honestly, is more about just really assessing, like, are you open? Are you open to understanding the mm. world around you? Are you open to understanding yourself and why yeah. you're doing what you're doing? If you are, you you have, a, I think, a much higher likelihood of success. And those are the kinds of leaders I think we need to be investing yeah. in. And then accept what you said about accepting your mistakes, that you did mistakes. Yeah. And sometimes I see people that they are even afraid of accepting their mistakes. Uh, maybe, I mean, they are afraid, you know, but the point is always you can learn about that. I, yeah, I mean, and, you know, I don't, you know, I'm sure you've just been perfect and you've made no mistakes, <laughs> but I can. No, I do too. I do too. I mean, like the point is, uh, yeah, someone asked me about how do you make a decision mm. in a company? So I would say like, you cannot never you can say that yeah i'm always right because you have to be right in, in the moment that you make that decision that you think that's the best choice that you are going with yeah maybe after a month or maybe after like two weeks you find that okay now there is a way to improve that decision yeah or maybe you did a, uh, make the wrong decision you know and then it has a neg- negative impact even on your company but you have to be always monitoring your the results mm-hmm. to make sure okay now this is the time to change it so there is no shame. What would I say? There is no shame to doing to um, for, for your mistakes. You know, so you can probably say, yeah, I did this five mistakes over last year. Now I'm working on it. I probably did like thirty mistakes, but but I, I think over last year. <laughs> <laughs> I think like one thing that's um, yeah, no, it's it's so it's so fundamental. I mm. mean. Just, just being honest. I think like once you're honest with yourself, uh, then you can be honest with others. Mm. And and um, like one of the things we're adding in our in our impact report is actually where we failed last year. Um, <clears throat> what changes, and then you know what what worked, what didn't, and what changes we're gonna make for the Millennium Fellowship this year based on failures last year. I think mm-hmm. it's so important to be that open and transparent because then you can really be accountable for uh, for managing to outcomes and actually making yourself better. Yeah, that's true. And uh, there are a lot of like points that we discussed in the podcast in, uh, during the last episodes. 
like the one was a mark talk about the ego mm. and uh, never quit and i was like saying yeah always you have to learn uh another with uh ben who is the uh business developer manager at the la chamber of commerce uh he pointed out the importance of self-awareness mm. what would you say hmm. because two years ago you pointed out to five of them yeah, yeah, yeah. um I mean, if you want to point out the three main, most important, mm. let's say. Well, from an MCN standpoint, we definitely talk a lot about values. Mm. Um, when we say empathy, humility, mm. and inclusion, what those values are, empathy is really about understanding other people, mm. not just sympathizing, but really trying to understand other people. Mm. Um, so, not to judge other people. Or if you have an employee who's going through something and you know you want to judge them because they're not delivering on a result, but maybe you're actually trying to understand them, not just as an employee, but as a human being, mm -hmm. what is going on in their personal life or outside of the office, and how do you help manage them so they can reach the goals that they've set. Humility, again, <laughs> not having all the answers and knowing, like, I know that I don't know, and mm -hmm. that's, that's, he that's healthy. Um, and inclusion because there are so many people who uh, are left out, uh, are marginalized for a whole host of reasons, but it boils down to discrimination in many forms. Mm -hmm. And um, and I don't think, you know, I mean, it's clear that like when you look at who's running Fortune 500s, et cetera, like there are a lot of voices that aren't... Uh, at the at the board level or at the c-suite level um there are a lot of very it's glaring that mm -hmm. i mean it's very obvious and so uh, inclusion really thinking about how do we create organizations companies movements that actually accurately represent and reflect the communities that we're engaging that's not an easy thing to do it means sometimes like for me as a white male from boston it means sometimes going into spaces and actually just like not being the first to talk like i was conditioned to always raise my hand and give my opinion and mm -hmm. it matters no like maybe just sit back and listen first and try and understand maybe there's other people who would take a minute before they raise their hand. Make sure everyone really has the opportunity to share and don't dominate everything. And I think that's those have been really key for us at MCN mm -hmm. and for me personally. What about for you? Uh, well, again, I mean the same. I, I think we have the same uh, like kind of mindset in terms of like helping people. You know, that would be the same thing. I was always not really going to trying to not talk. And listen to the people when we are in the meeting or like in the conferences you know i would uh, in the conferences or the seminars or like let's say the presentation i really wanted to have more q a mm. rather than me talking yeah i wanted to say like okay now these are the topics these are what i know and how i can help you or to like increase the education i mean like the awareness of the topics but i would say like yeah let's do more q a let's mm. hear from you guys mm. because if i stand here and talk it would be maybe another like boring like lecture lecture you know or like the presentation for the next two hours mm. so i would say like yeah what is your problem mm. i was like in the i was a guest speaker at the la chamber of commerce mm -hmm. and um, i was talking about the improving your business and marketing using intelligent tools so everyone was expecting to have like another like i, I call it a boring uh, presentations because I witnessed some of them that it takes like four hours you know there is no point and then when I started I was like going through in the slides or like 
explaining the tools, how this tool work, how it can help you. And then I was asking the audience that, what do you sell? Mm-hmm. And then like I was showing him live that how he can improve his business. So I was wow. like, yeah, you're going to these tools, you know, you use like the other tools, you know, to find out like your target audience, their behaviors, their interests. This is how you can. And then the next one. So what is your problem? What are you selling? What is your services? Hmm. So I would say uh, helping others. I mean, like the value that we can give to others, you know, that would be the first thing. Hmm. Even for companies to start a conversation, it would really better to see that they are actually like giving us a value or adding mm. to you know add a value to the company and yeah. we can add a value to their companies and then let's start talking about the business or yeah something after that but my mind uh, one of the main concern is trying to not only increase the awareness in terms of the leadership or the and the business strategy you mm. know for the people but also to kind of change the mindset or improving the mindset because mm. what I see based on my experiences talking to people and business owners, you know, or executives is I would say I heard a quote that says like people mainly don't have a business problem. They have a personal problem. <laughs> and I mentioned this in the podcast before. Mm. So I think it's really easy if you know your problems, your personal issues you know, your let's say if you have a lack of like responsibility or, you know, uh, you can address that and you can read about it. Mm-hmm. Just read about it on, on buy a book, you know, use the social media again to read about this stuff and then try and solve it. So what I'm trying to do is find out the main, let's say, the issues that the people, especially entrepreneurs can solve mm. in order to solve their business issues as well. Mm. You know, so what about you i mean like when you started i mean because when you are talking about the integrity family love support talk to everyone this is a complete set of the great mindset mm. so it's really hard to for someone to achieve in this level maybe like very soon maybe it takes time for all of us maybe like 10 years ago i was not the same as today you know in terms of the mindset we all went through all this but we learned and then we've been being honest with each other and ourselves so we really improved this mindset Mm. so this is the thing that i really trying to encourage people to improve your mindset understand the problems being honest with yourself and others yeah and then start improving this yeah what what do you say i mean like when you started at the age of 19 Mm. you know so you read those books and then but how how did you keep up? In terms of mindset specifically, mm-hmm. um, I think finding great mentors, mm-hmm. finding people around you who've uh, been through some of the challenges that you're going to go through, yeah. learning from them, just having a really kind of safe space to ask honest you know questions and get honest answers. Um, Honestly, because I started so young in this work, I mean, I, I learned a lot by trial and error. I learned a lot by making mistakes. Mm-hmm. I think part of the mindset <clears throat> was to say, all right, I've made this mistake. I own it. Um, how, how do I avoid doing it again? Part of it was also like just maturity that came with doing work over time and realizing like, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, <laughs> there, there are things that I need to be better at in terms of managing people or managing my time to really deliver on results. Um, and part of it was also like acceptance. Mm-hmm. As you get older, just kind of 
uh, also embracing there's idiosyncrasies and aspects of you that make you who you are. Uh, I know that for me, I like uh, personally, like I love sometimes working late into the night and mm-hmm. starting the day a little bit later. That's me. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I was always taught, oh, nine to five is the exact thing to do. Maybe, yeah. but maybe not. And so like, you know, finding what works best for you and your organization and being a bit flexible, I think is really healthy. Um, <clears throat> as long as you're reaching the goals that you've set, um, I, I think that's the key. And, and then part of the mindset, you know, that really shifted for me too was, <clears throat> I think like, yeah, a key, a key piece of it for me was really around um, accountability. Mm-hmm. Um so kind of just wiring my mind to start thinking about um, not just like the next week or next month, but the next year, three years, five years, where we want to be, mm-hmm. um, just opening up your mind to something larger and then reverse engineering from there and saying, okay, if this is where we want to be three to five years from now, you know, 12 months from now, how do we get there six months, a quarter, mm-hmm. a month, a week, a day? Reverse engineering though. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That that like, but I didn't think about it like that ten years ago. I know. But now, right, like when you're creating a really robust business plan and strategic plan, you're always thinking like, all right, this is where we want to go. It may go in a bit of a different direction, mm-hmm. but we need to kind of yeah reverse engineer and think about and just opening your mind up through a process like that. I think that's that's helped me really kind of think a little bit bigger about possibilities for myself, mm-hmm. for MCN, for Millennium Fellows, and and where we go next. And where do you want to go next in 10 years, let's say? Um, so our big dream. Um, so from from uh, organization point of view yeah. and also your personal belief in terms of like changing or the impact. Yeah. What impact do you want it to have? I mean, like to achieve in 10 years. Yeah. I mean, for us, obviously, you know, we're training young people. We're training and uniting young people, t- mm-hmm. uh, making a difference in their own communities. So for us, <laughs> we've set a goal by 2025 to train 25,000 young leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 it will end up being annual class sizes of 5,000 young leaders worldwide going through the Millennium Fellowship, becoming Millennium Fellows. The reason we set this goal is um, <laughs> we looked at programs like the Peace Corps, mm-hmm. Teach for America, some of these large organizations. Everyone thinks, I ask all these all the time, people will say, oh, the Peace Corps is like, you know, 50,000 people doing it a year. Teach for America, Mm -hmm. (laughs) 100,000. The Peace Corps is 7,300 a year, each cycle. Um, And Teach for America is 5,000. They're relatively small, but even with these small organizations, they became household names, helped shift narrative, public policy. And so (laughs) just to, we we really want to do that at the undergraduate level where people know Millennium Fellows as Mm -hmm. a trusted source of talent known to employers, to funders, to graduate schools, Mm -hmm. and they're coming for this talent. And so, you know, if we can make it a little bit easier for these young leaders to be elevated, whether they're at, you know, a, a Cornell or a Georgetown or Penn, or whether mm-hmm. they're at Alma College or Miami-Dade College, elite schools, not elite school, doesn't matter. Like, as long as you're committed to making an impact, we want you to share in our network, our identity, and we want to support you in, in taking your work to the next level. So 25,000 young leaders trained by 2025, that's, that's the big goal right now that mm-hmm. we're really laser focused on. That's really, really great. And we're also going to include all the description I mean, the, uh, on the li- uh, all the links to your organizations and uh, blogs, you know, uh, about it on the description so people can click and learn more about it. Something also I remember was um, when we talk about the impact. 
I uh, read an article and uh, listened to the lecture from uh, Simon Sinek mm -hmm. about the millennials mm -hmm. and the way that they wanted to have an impact. Mm -hmm. But the, one of the issues that he pointed out is the lack of patience. Hmm. So uh, I would say the lack of patience now is like, because everything is really, really happening really fast now in our worlds in terms of the, because of the technology. So maybe people are losing their faith in patience. This is what I would say. But uh, how did you keep up with that? Because it's like over 10 years with uh, yeah. organization, right? Yeah. It's hard. Mm. It is really hard. Um, I saw this study. It said uh, U.S. Department of Labor Mm. I, if this is accurate, they said by age 40, millennials on average will have 15 different jobs. Mm -hmm. 15. I've had one. So I'm, um, I'm, I'm, you know, it's an anomaly. Like what, what I'm doing is a bit unusual and to mm -hmm. be with something for this long as a millennial is a bit unusual. But um, yeah, and a lot of people have said to me, because nonprofits in general, it can be hard, you know, or being an entrepreneur can be hard. A lot mm. of friends say, Sam, leave this, go do other things. You can make a lot more money. You can be more successful. Mm. At some point I do, I, I probably will go into politics. I think that ultimately will be where I go. But, um, but I've been so invested in this and had patience because I know that uh, real enduring change doesn't happen overnight. Like mm. the movement and apartheid, you know, to change uh, government system in South Africa, like that took a couple generations, like it took decades. Yeah. And even that was fast. Slavery in the United States, like these things don't happen, you know, like that. It, yeah. It's it's the process of movement building and getting enough early adopters and then late adopters and getting everyone on board a movement and, and with a shared message. Um, who, who are willing to put in the work time and time again. Yeah. Um, one of my frustrations, to be honest with you, is um, we, and I think part of it is because of, so maybe because of social media, mm -hmm. we're, we're very much drawn, and maybe social media is just kind of mirroring it, but we're very much drawn into moments rather than movements. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like whatever that moment might be, it captures our attention for 24 hours. Um, and, and, you know, it gets a lot of, and then people move on to the next thing and on to the next thing. Yeah. I think it's so important to build infrastructure for whatever cause mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, your company is like, stay committed to that thing so that when those moments happen, you've got something built in already exactly. to take it. Yeah. I would say, uh, if you are committed or if you are following and chasing your vision, for and the value yeah that would be really easy i mean to wait for it yeah. and have a patience mm -hmm. but if you are really chasing only the money or you know those i mean being famous or this stuff so i would say you might lose your patience because mm. you're not you don't have expect of you don't expect a lot of like issues on the way or the problems on the way and then you lose your control and then you lose your patience and then you change your job you change yeah. your company yeah even though not only from the entrepreneur's point of view even though from the let's say the best manager at the company yeah. even if they don't believe in the vision of the company they would lose patience and then they're gonna like quit the job or you know change their jobs yeah this is something in terms of the mindset i wanted to always like point out to say is like follow what you love it's mm. like famously you know code mm. everyone is saying but really really find out 
the value that you want to bring to the world yeah or the in the impact yeah just find a way yeah. and then stick to it and then you will love what you do yeah you know then you will grow and then you can add to it you can add like the same thing on looking at life when we started was like just helping companies in terms of improving their business and their marketing and then we find out okay now we can add another value we can have a new product mm. we can have we can promote the marketing strategy to people and to businesses to say like hey you can use it we, you, we can develop a strategy for you first mm. you know so it not it's not going to be always steady and like having like one service for example you can find and again like another more tools or like products to add to your company that can actually complete or support what you do already do right yeah i i love that i think that's exactly right yeah. and uh okay that was really really great talk today for and then last is what tips or advice do you have for everyone who is watching and listening to this in terms of like to have that impact they want to have mm. um <clears throat> well one i'd say and it, it's very much in line with what you just shared um especially for us mm. a, a lot of times as entrepreneurs they you know you'll go to a meeting with an investor and they say what problem are you solving mm -hmm. i think it's too reductive i think like the real question is what value are you adding um, it's a little bit different and I, I, I think that's the question like what value do you want to add to the world mm -hmm. who, who are you meaningfully serving what value are you adding um, do you really understand the people that that you're trying to help or serve or support or engage and um, <clears throat> there was a speaker he's uh, his name's Kanon he's a singer-songwriter he spoke at our conference uh, at Harvard in 2011 and it was during the famine and drought in the Horn of Africa. And mm. uh, somebody during Q&A asked, he said, you know, Kanan, collectively, uh, hundreds of us here, we can reach millions of people. What is that one thing that we should do? Is it donating to, to UNICEF for bed nets? Like, what is that one mm. thing? We'll all do it. We'll mobilize everyone. And Kanan looked back and he said, look, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but he said, look, you know, so often when people try to help other people, mm -hmm. they, they do it from a place of feeling superior to those they're trying to help. He said, if I could ask everyone to do one thing, it would be to learn about the culture and the people that you're trying to help or learn about yourself and why you're doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's probably the best advice I've heard through our work and, mm -hmm. one, and a piece that I would pass on. If we get that right and you really understand people um, and where they're at and what their aspirations are, uh, you engage them with uh, dignity, the dignity mm -hmm. every person deserves. Um, and, and you really understand why you're doing the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. I think you can create a world-class company that has really deep, purposeful impact and uh, really does change and the world. solve a lot of problems. Yeah, right, absolutely. Right. Okay, thank you. That was a really, really great job. I hope like uh, we can have more podcasts with you. I think you're going to San Francisco and then you'll be in Boston. Mm -hmm. Maybe the next time you came to LA, we can have another podcast. Done. And uh, thank you for coming again. And thank you, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you.